Okay, so we have two scripture readings for today. Um, the first one is from uh, Exodus chapter 18, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 23, and then the other one is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. So I'm going to start with Exodus. This is God's word. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make, known, make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. And then the next reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Uh, this is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, I pray, Father, that your spirit would be working in us to will and to do of your good pleasure, that you would be growing in us a desire to build up the body um, and equipping us and teaching us in the ways that we need. Um, I pray, Lord, that we would really um, defer to your wisdom and you would be really forming a great team of people who can care for each other and lean on each other in times that we need help. Uh, so I thank you for your word. I pray you would speak powerfully uh, through it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and dive right into it. Uh, let's take a look at Moses' situation. Uh, what we see here is what would be my absolute nightmare scenario. Moses has meetings from morning till evening. Okay? Now, like, if you think about this, if, if morning is like when the sun comes up, let's say the sun comes up at 6, right? And then evening is when the sun goes down. Before the electric light, before all this stuff, this is how they would have uh, organized their days. Sun comes up, you get up. Sun goes down, you go down. And so what's, what's really interesting is that meant that they would have averaged, like, 11, 12 hours of sleep. And I'm really jealous because I'm like, man, that would be so awesome. Anyway, but morning till evening, when Moses wakes up, what does he do? He goes to meetings 
all day and night. This is like my worst nightmare. I can't handle me like like uh, Dan. Dan is more of a meeting person. Are you more of a meeting person? Than well, anyway, um, but uh, Ken. I was talking to Ken the other day, and he said that on one day he had meetings from morning till night. And do you know? Get this. Do you know where he was talking to me? It was at a meeting at night <laughs> at church. And so he went from a full day of meetings at his work and then basically, you know, shoved some food in your face and then went straight to church and had another meeting. This is like, it, it, can you imagine? Now, now, okay, so think about Moses. He's in the wilderness. They're wandering around the desert. They are eating manna and relying on God's provision for food. Not only this, they encounter other difficulties. In chapter 17, right before this, they were actually attacked by another group of people, the Amalekites. And God miraculously provided deliverance for them. And so basically, th these are, can you imagine, not only are you having meetings with people, but these people are all super duper stressed out. And they're tired. And it's hot. Like you don't have air conditioning. You're hungry. You're tired. You're in the desert. I don't even, like, I'm, I, I think you would meet in a tent. So at least you would have shade. But this would have sucked, right? Now, uh, this is Moses' situation, and this is his predicament, right? Uh, the thing I would want to compare this to is um, Yvonne is a counselor, right? Where not only is Moses having regular meetings, these aren't simply strategic meetings, but take a look closer at what he's actually doing. His responsibilities include this. He's inquiring of God for the people. And so this basically means he is a mediator before God and the people, where he brings to them God's wisdom and instruction, right? So he is explaining scripture to them. Uh, he's uh, mediating with God where he would ask God wisdom for the situation. Not only that, he's judging between people's disputes, okay? So this is where like being a counselor comes in. Imagine you're a, you're a counselor and a married couple is having a lot of problems in their marriage and they come into you and one person is yelling at the other person. One person is saying, this is all your fault. And the other person is saying, this is all your fault. Like, you messed up this thing. Your, your lasagna is terrible. Whatever it is. They're yelling at each other. They're angry. It's an emotionally charged situation. And so not only is Moses dealing with meetings for 12 hours straight, but these range from anywhere from absolutely petty, where I imagine, like, this, this would have been, like, um, I, I, I kind of imagine it's like they're gathering manna and someone's like, they're, they're, I, there's like a line or something. I don't know if this actually happened. That's, it probably didn't actually happen, but this is what I imagine. Um, and they're like in line to gather the manna, and then one person like is like, I'm really hungry. They push the person out of the way. person falls on the floor. And then this person comes to Moses, and they're like, you know, Lawrence pushed me out of the way when I was trying to gather the manna. And, it, and it's super petty, right? It's not that important. And so Moses is like, uh, not again. Not again, Lawrence, getting in trouble again. Just stop doing that, okay? And then it's over, right? But then someone else comes in, and they're like, we're having a crisis here, you know? Can you imagine the whiplash between going from someone who has an extraordinarily petty childlike concern to someone who has something that's absolutely deadly serious and emotionally charged and difficult? And then there is the sheer cumulative impact of this. Um, so uh, there is a Christian counselor that I attended, and um, my dad also went to this Christian counselor not too long ago, 
And he would tell me this story where he basically said, this is, this is a guy who meets with clients like all day, right? Like probably 10 hours straight. And again, these are people who are really struggling. And so my dad met with him in the afternoon. And uh, so it's like three o'clock, you know, it's the days long. He's, you know, he just had lunch. His, he has a happy food belly. He's tired. And so when my dad was talking to him, he started nodding off. Like the counselor literally started falling asleep while my dad was talking at him. And my dad was like, I can't, believe, I can't trust this guy. I'm not going to this counselor anymore. Um, and do you know what the really ironic thing was? Me, Dan, and my dad were meeting with my dad, I kid you not, two weeks earlier. And we were reading through a passage. And my dad was very comfortable. Maybe he was drinking some tea, having a great relaxed time on the couch, or we were outside or something. And he started nodding off during our meeting. And then he got so mad two weeks later about this Christian counselor falling asleep. And I'm like, dude, both of you guys are old. If you nod off during whatever it is, no one blames you. It's totally fine. But I was like, Dad, maybe you should be a little more gracious with this counselor because you do the exact same thing. Anyway, so this is, this is honestly the cost of meeting with people for this long, right? So he has all of this responsibility and burden on him where he's leading this huge group of people. And the only thing people come to him with are problems. Do you know how exhausting that would be? People don't come to him and are like, you know, Moses, you're doing a great job. Like, nice job beating the Amalekites. No, they come to him with problems. And so if you think about how wearying this would be, it's such a huge burden on Moses to constantly see and deal with difficult people, difficult situations, runs the, the gamut from kind of petty to like heartbreaking and difficult. So I, I don't know, like uh, there are all kinds of issues that would have happened. And then this person, Jethro, who's Moses's father-in-law, comes up to him out of nowhere. So what you learn in chapter 18 is Jethro and Moses's wife and children were actually away while Israel was leaving Egypt and wandering in the wilderness. And so Jethro hears what God has been doing in delivering the Israelites from Egypt, and he hears about it, and he's like, wow, that's amazing. This God is so powerful. He, he miraculously delivered them from the power of Egypt, from the gods of Egypt, and so he goes and finds Moses in the wilderness so that he can talk to him, so they can spend time together. And then What's really interesting is, so they exchange pleasantries. Moses explains to him the story of what happened. And Jethro basically uh, praises God. He converts, he converts in a sense, where he makes an offering to the God of Israel, even though he's from Midian, and so he would have, he would have had different gods. So he converts, and then Moses has this situation. And Jethro, so Moses is like the first, I don't know, Moses is like the first celebrity pastor, and then Jethro is like the first church consultant. Like, this is actually a job that people have where they go to a church, and they are an outside perspective where they're able to look at, kind of objectively, at what's going on in the church, and then they give their diagnosis, and they give kind of ideas for how to help this church function better, right? And now, what we see is what Moses is doing is a recipe for burnout, right? A recipe for burnout. I really like the metaphor of burnout, um, and I don't really know where the, the phrase comes from, but I think about like, when you think of like a burnout, 
I don't know if this is right, but I think about like a match where a match has a certain amount of fuel on the head of a match, right? And then there's a certain amount of fuel that happens. So you strike the match and then it burns through the fuel and then the fire goes out, burn out. I, don't, I really honestly don't know if that's where it comes from, but when we look at the condition of burnout, uh, this actually happens very frequently in helping professions. So in people in situations like Moses is in, they often experience much higher rates of burnout. What are some of the helping professions? Doctors. Doctors are constantly busy. Um, they constantly are doing both tedious stuff like the paperwork. Doctors always complain about all the paperwork they have. But not only that, they have to deal with really serious stuff all the time. Like imagine you're an ER doctor or imagine you're an oncologist. And so I've read um, some books by, um, there's a guy named Atul Gawande who um, was a doctor and he wrote about this uh, uh, phenomenon where doctors would frequently burn out and as a result of that they would lose all of their motivation and their patient care would plummet. And they would actually lead to serious harm to their patients because they just were done. They had no more fuel left to motivate themselves to do their job well. Counselors often burn out. People working with troubled people often burn out. Pastors burn out. And so what Jethro says to Moses as the first church consultant is he says this. Moses, and he's like he's both a combination in this passage of like direct and also polite, which is really interesting. He must have been Chinese because those, that often happens. Anyway, um, so he says this. What you are doing is not good, right? What you're doing is not good. This is not sustainable. This is a recipe for burnout. You and the people with you will wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You, will not be, you are not able to do it alone. Now, if you look at this, from, if you look at this uh, carelessly, one thing that you miss is what's at stake when leaders burn out. And, you know, if you think about pastors, you think about doctors, you think about counselors, whatever it might be. In this passage, you have something really interesting. And this is why leadership really matters. Um, what Jethro says to Moses is not just, if you keep doing this, you, Moses, will burn out. But he says, you and the people with you will wear yourselves out. Do you know why? Because if Moses is the only one who's able to make judgments for people, then Moses takes meetings all day long. Do you know what the people are doing all day long? Standing in line, waiting to see Moses. I don't know. But like maybe they had like a ticket system where they would pull a, I don't know. Um, but it, it is wearying. It, the, the failure of leadership to delegate, the Moses taking on too much for himself has a huge ripple effect where that impacts everyone. Because he is not able to be a leader who delegates. He's doing something unwise. It actually leads to all the other people wearing themselves out. And so this is where you see this in organizations. When the leader burns out, everyone has to scramble to fill in all the gaps. And then those people work too hard. They burn out. And so what's at stake um, it, with good leadership, and especially you could say like healthy leadership, and I would say it's not just healthy leadership. These are not just leadership principles, but this is like a godly model of leadership. And this applies to churches, especially. Um, this is the people of God, the nation of God in the Old Testament. And then when we go forward to the New Testament, that's why I read the Ephesians passage, we see that 
um, Paul and the other apostles institute a very similar model of leadership where they don't say there is one lead pastor who does everything. And they don't say a pastor is someone who does all the work and then as long as they're entertaining, and this is the celebrity pastor phenomenon, as long as they're entertaining and they make me feel good, I'm totally fine with just like sitting there and you know being passive. That's not good. It's not good. If I'm and Dan are the only ones doing anything, that's not good. It's not good for us. It's not good for you. And so, um, you know, our church, like, honestly, this is a struggle that many ch small Chinese immigrant churches face where we don't have a lot of um, people, and yet we often, I would say we often punch above our pay grade in many capacities. So, like, when you look at our church during the pandemic, we have amazing people like Enoch and Jeremiah who everything closed for the pandemic on a Wednesday. We had a meeting on Thursday, and then by Sunday, we were able to like stream two services. Or it was like we recorded the English side and then we streamed the Chinese side, is that right? Do you know how many hours put, they put into doing that? And do you know how many other churches were able to respond to that crisis that quickly? Very few our size. And so what people don't realize is we punch above our pay grade in many ways. But if we're not careful, we will burn ourselves out. And you see this a lot in Chinese immigrant churches where um, the pastors literally have to do everything. They do everything. Like, and we are, I would say we're a pretty, we're a, we're a healthier example of a Chinese immigrant church than some of the ones who my friends have worked at or like I've been a part of. Um, but still, we could learn a lot from this passage where this is a recipe for burning out. If we try to do things alone, so here's the recipe. If you try to do things alone, you're going to burn out. Um, and you see that in Jethro's advice to Moses. Number two, he says, this thing is too heavy for you. Where Moses is putting on himself too great of a burden. Um, and so you could almost say that a temptation that pastors or like leaders have is they have an inflated sense of their abilities. This is not relegated simply to pastors, but often it happens within these types of leaders where they think that they're better than they are and they try to do too much. They try to do everything. And it's almost like the more capable you are, the harder time you have recognizing your own limitations. And then the insidious thing about burnout is Jethro preemptively tells Moses, you gotta change things or else you're gonna burn out. But this is often not what happens. What often happens with capable, competent people is they just keep on going and then they hit a wall, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? They just die, like they just stop. One day, like this is the thing with the doctors, it's not, I mean it's gradual too, but sometimes you have really extreme examples where someone just snaps, right? And there's one piece of media that I think really illustrates the, 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 what it's like before you burn out. This is from Encanto. There's a song called Surface Pressure. Do, do you, uh, and it goes, it's basically, um, Encanto is like a Disney Pixar movie and there's one character named Luisa. All of these characters have special powers and Luisa is a strong woman. So basically she can like lift a piano, she gets a boulder, like an enormous like five ton boulder, she just like throws it in the air, she like juggles, you know. Um, and there's the song Surface Pressure where she basically says, um, I have all of this weight of burden and expectation 
And I'm really strong, I'm really capable, but I'm really worried that one day it'll just be too much and I'll break, okay? So let me read some of the lyrics. Pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. Whoa. Pressure that'll tip, tip, tip till you just go pop. Whoa. No, so, so if you, you, you get it, right? Where the pressure that you go under if you're in these positions, it's a steady thing, it's a cumulative thing, and there's a tipping point, right? Where she says, at some point, you just go pop. You burn out. You just can't do it anymore. And so you descend into exhaustion or depression, and you are completely incapable of doing the thing that you've been doing because you have, you've burned out, right? And then this, look at her attitude here. She says, give it to your sister, it doesn't hurt, and see if she can handle every family burden. Watch as she buckles and bends, but never breaks, no mistakes, right? And if you watch the movie, the music video is really, really great. When she's singing this, there's this one part where she's holding up these huge rocks on her back like this. Like she's almost like squatting these like enormous rocks. And as she's singing this, another huge rock falls on her back. And she kind of like buckles under the pressure. And then another rock falls on her. And she goes even lower. And over and over and over again, more and more pressure, more and more responsibilities fall on her. And her attitude is, because my family expects me to do these things, I have to do it. I have to do it by myself. I have to do it alone. And if I don't do this, my entire family will fall apart. You know the craziest thing in that music video? After all of these rocks start falling down on her, at some point, the rocks actually turn into the family house. And Encanto is all about this house, right? And the house falls down on her back, and then she's almost like flattened like a pancake under the pressure because that's how she perceives her life. She has to hold all of the weight and expectations of her entire family on her back. Now, for some of you kids, you might know what this feels like, right? Where your parents have expectations um, and like it is so stressful to try to bear all of these things on your back. And sometimes your expectations and pressure are self-imposed. Sometimes your parents explicitly say to you, I expect you to have a 3.9 GPA, only a 3.9, but you know, really I want you to get at least a 4.4. You know? Those are the expectations that parents have. And it's crushing, right? It's crushing. And so Moses is just like Louisa, where he says, you know, like, he's just in it. He is, he's like, and you know, Stephen Covey, or I think many self-help speakers call this the tyranny of the urgent, where Moses is constantly putting out fires, and because of that, he can't think clearly, right? He can't get enough distance from the busyness of his schedule to make clear leadership decisions. And that's another kind of recipe for burnout. You get stuck prioritizing what's urgent over what's important. I hope you can see how this applies right off the bat, right? This applies when you're serving in ministry. If I, as a pastor, am so busy and like I'm constantly rushing around doing things that I neglect my marriage, I neglect my family, um, but what often happens is pastors and Christians in general if you're too busy, you start to neglect your soul or your spiritual life with God. And even in the culture we live in, there are so many competing voices for our attention that the voice of God and your spiritual life, your inner life, is the first thing that gets lost. 
Um, this is really the world we live in, where all of these forces make it so difficult to have this space where Moses was inquiring of God, right? And you see in different passages in Exodus and Numbers, like Moses would go meet with God personally. And this is not simply quiet time. This is basically realizing how hard it is to hold on to God's perspective about your life and the difficulty and spiritual, I don't know what you call it, like spiritual resilience or robustness that you need to take on the tasks that God would have you do. Even something as, like, I, I'm not saying this is simple, but like your very ordinary life tasks really are a lot. They really are. Like, you know, Rebecca's holding Landon, and it's like to be a mom of one kid is really, really tough. To be a mom of two kids, yeah, crying babies, it's tough, right? And, and so here, like, here's the thing. Here's, here's one application I would just say, like, it's so important, and, you know, this is like the manna, you know, in the past passage. It's so important that you find space where you can let God rejuvenate you and give you rest. And, you know, as a pastor, this is, like, super hard. Like, this is the difference between me doing sermon prep for something, where I'm thinking about writing, I'm thinking about reading, interpreting, communicating, and just sitting with God by myself and letting him minister to me. And these are some of like, I really love doing this. And this is one thing I could say that I would really recommend is spend time with God in whatever way helps you experience his love. And you need space and quiet and solitude to do that. Um, and this will actually equip and empower you to do what God has you to do. That's how you avoid burnout. But let's look at what Jethro says. Um, let's look at, so the recipe for burnout. So you're like, this is a, this is a dish that you're making. And let, um, and let me tell you the ingredients for endurance. So rather, yeah, really awesome, right? What are the ingredients for endurance? Um, Jethro says this to Moses. He says, keep doing what you're doing. So he says, continue to do what's important. You make judgments. You, you inquire before God for people. But also you teach them the statutes and laws of God. So he has a judge role. He has a teaching role. Keep doing what you're doing. But in addition to that, look for able men from all the peoples. So this is really wise. Um, and again, these are like excellent leadership principles where um, if you're like starting a company and you, you always run into a problem, not that I know anything about starting a company, but my sister is actually in this interesting stage where she does tutoring. She tutors Peggy, where are you? My sister does writing tutoring and she's at a, a point where she has so many students that she can't do it all. And so she's basically thinking, either I need to, I, I, I'm sure she's probably okay with me telling her this, but uh, either I need to scale back the number of kids I'm tutoring, or I need to find other people who can teach. And I need to, in a sense, scale up by hiring people or finding other people who can do this, right? And so this is what Jethro is saying to Moses. You're going to burn out. It's too heavy unless you delegate, unless you delegate responsibility. And you look for able men. So first we see, um, and this is really important, uh, first we see that Jethro tells Moses to look for people who are capable, okay, for able men, people who are competent to do the job that he wants them to do, right? But what's really interesting is he doesn't stop there. He says able people, but also men who fear God. Now, it's very easy to find capable people 
in Silicon Valley. There are plenty of capable people. But what's interesting is, not only do they have to be capable, but they have to fear God. And this is basically a phrase that the Hebrews would use for having reverence and awe and treating God with, in a sense, respect. Because he is God, I'm not, he's a king, and I bow before him. That's kind of what it means to fear God. You treat God with the utmost importance, which means you want to learn from him, you treat him with respect, you bow before him, you serve him, you think of yourself as less and under God. That's kind of what it means to fear God. And then in the New Testament, you could say that this is kind of like walking with the Spirit, where you seek to please God. And the word fear is not, in some ways it's helpful, in some ways it's unhelpful, because in the New Testament, we see that God actually sees us as friends, God actually treats us as beloved children, and so we're not serving him out of a sense of fear, out of a, a fear of punishment, but it's out of a desire to please him because we love him and respect him and want to please him and admire him. So not only do you have to be able, but you have to fear God. Um, it is such a huge temptation for churches, especially when churches are desperate for help, which often we are, to value ability over the fear of God. And yet, Jethro's advice, which, what, what you realize when you read this passage is Jethro's advice from Moses is actually another way that God provides for his people in the wilderness. Are you guys seeing that? Before, God provided water, and then he provided manna, and then he provided more water, and then he provided military victory. And now, Moses is burning out, and the Israelites are floundering because their leader is not able to handle their requests, and God looks at these people and says, you know what you need? You need delegated authority and leadership. And you need a large group of people to take responsibility and serve the people and care for people, right? And this will save Moses and it will save Israel. And so it's so cool. Jethro's advice is directly from God. He is a Gentile. He's a pagan. But God uses him to be the church consultant and give Moses an outside perspective because he is blind to his own failings and weaknesses. And he needs help from the outside. And so again... Another thing that leaders should consider is, like, we all have our blind spots. I have my blind spots. I really do. And I don't even know what they are because they're blind spots. By definition, I can't know them. No, but um, other people can tell you your blind spots. And when you take them seriously, when you are humble the way Moses is, you can actually do something different. A leader who is humble gets advice from other people that they might even disagree with and says, you know what? I humbly... I'm going to go with your advice rather than what I think is right because if I just do what I think is right all the time, I will never be able to address my blind spots. I need other perspectives. And so that's what Moses does. So they have to be able, they have to fear God, they have to be trustworthy and hate a bribe. So those two words there mean, I mean, you can kind of see what it means. And we were talking about this in um, adult Sunday school, like the character of a leader, the integrity of a leader, he needs people who are trustworthy because what are they doing? They're judging. And if two, uh, like imagine you're a lawyer who's mediating between a couple who's getting a divorce, right? And one person bribes the lawyer to tailor the documents so that they get the majority of the assets. I guarantee you that this has happened. I'm sure that it's happened at some point. 
It, I mean, maybe it happens more frequently than that. I don't know. But that's why they have to be trustworthy. They have to hate a bribe, which means they want nothing to do with any sort of people who are trying to manipulate their opinion. Because what are they trying to do? They're trying to inquire of God. They're trying to act justly before these people and mediate between these two people with conflicts. Let's keep going. What's the outcome when Moses follows Jethro's advice and delegates? Look at this. Uh, Jethro says, it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. You get that? Moses is doing something that is unnecessarily difficult and burdening. And not only that, he's not equipping and raising up people who can share the burden with him. So let me give you a quick illustration. The battle with the Amalekites right before this is a really weird story. Israel is fighting the Amalekites, and Moses is like on a hill watching the battle. And this, I don't even know what to make of this story, really, other than the thing I'm going to tell you. Uh, whenever Moses kind of raises his hand, according to the Bible, the Israelites would, win, would be winning the battle. But then when his arm gets tired, they would start losing. And so for this long period of time, Moses had to like raise his hands and just leave them there. And then at some point he got so tired, like, and I'm literally, I'm doing shoulder exercises. You get it? You get it, youth group? Anyway, um, Moses literally had to hold up his hands and then he would get too tired and then the Israelites would start losing. So do you know what happened? He got two people to literally hold up his arms so he could keep them up for the extent of the battle so that they would win. And then afterwards he says, the Lord is my banner. Do you know what God was trying to say to Moses? You can't do this alone. You literally need to trust people to bear the burden of keeping your hands up there because by yourself, you're not able to do it. So he was already preparing Moses for de delegating authority and responsibility and burdens in the passage before this. That's what he wanted Moses to do. And if you do it, it'll be easier. They will help you bear the burden. And so this is so important. Here's an application for you guys. Um, Uncle Rupert, our lead pastor, uh, is on a sabbatical right now. And our church has really struggled to find enough elders and ministers on the Chinese side to take the burden off of Uncle Rupert. And so Uncle Rupert has been serving so faithfully and well for a very long time, and he has been so exhausted for a very long time. Now, I don't know what to do about that. We've been trying to find other ministers. We've been trying to raise up other elders, and we have raised up a lot of elders. We've raised up four different elders in the last few years, which is great. That's a great step in the right direction. But if more people don't step up, your leaders will burn out. Dan will burn out. I will burn out. We will all burn out. This is just the reality. And we have this both from scripture, but from experience, from the history of organizations, from all of these different things. And so there are two things that have to happen. Number one, we have to delegate authority and give up, up control, which is not always easy for us. We have to have a lower view of ourselves where we have a healthy relationship to the work we do, where we say, I'm not God. I simply am God's servant and under shepherd. I play a role. God has equipped me and called me to do this. But what I really need is to multiply the number of people and disciples who can make disciples. And so you see this in the Ephesians passage where God gifted the teachers, the shepherds and teachers, God gifted pastors, and the word for pastor means like a shepherd, someone who cares for the flock 
and they teach the flock. He gave, gifted these people to the body of Christ, to the church, for what? Does it say to do everything? Does it say to get burned out? Does it say to be a celebrity? Does it say to always be the one doing everything? No, it says to what? Equip the saints, you guys, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is such an important passage for us to put into practice at this moment, because after the pandemic stuff, like honestly, we are all tired. Like I'm like a year into being a father, I'm often very, very tired because I'm really trying to take on a lot of stuff and God's been sustaining me. But if I keep on going at this rate, I think I'm going to burn out. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not crying for help like right now. I'm totally fine. Dan is totally fine because we need to be patient in raising up people who are able, who are spiritual, who are able to lead in the ways that this passage calls. And that requires time and patience and discipleship. But if our church is still the same, we will burn out. And not only that, you guys will not be growing. Instead, what's the model? Pastors equip you guys to be active in building up the body of Christ. And so I think about like like Uncle Chris is serving in youth group. That's such a great uh, application of what it looks like, where you look for needs and you say, like, okay, when when you see a need, like we need Sunday school teachers. For, for the elementary school kids. We need Awana leaders. We need people to help out with children's ministry during the summer. You see a need and you think to yourself, oh, maybe I can help out with this. And then you start to try teaching the Bible to fourth grade boys. And you're like, I cannot do this. I need help. That's where you can come to me or come to Dan and say, help me, help me, I can't do this. And then hopefully we can pray for you, we can equip you for the work of building up the body by teaching and caring for the elementary school kids. And so when we have this like, so the preaching thing, like I'm speaking, you guys are listening, right? This is not what it looks like um, to be a healthy church. For a healthy church to take place, hopefully the preaching is equipping you to serve and build up the body and care for people and disciple people and love people and teach the Bible for yourselves. Hopefully this is what it's doing, it's equipping you, right? And by doing this, our church will be healthier and better. I will be healthier and better. I won't burn out. And then the other thing is we can devote ourselves to certain things that God has called us to. So um, God will direct us. God will be able to endure. And everyone will thrive as a result of this delegation of authority and also people in the group stepping up and serving in ways that benefits everyone else. We, will, we are not a very pressuring church. I honestly feel that me and Dan, we don't try very hard to like force people into serving. And we do that because we believe it should come out of your love for God and your honest desire to do it. But if you have a heart to serve and share the gospel with elementary school kids, I will spend however much time it takes to make you feel comfortable doing that. I want to show you how to teach these elementary school kids the Bible. I want to like coach you. I want to like pray for you and walk with you. And I'll give you like Bible. I don't know. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Uh, let's see where we're going. Uh, I'm just going to end with this. Um, let me give you one concrete example of a way. I, so I'm I, I am going to be a little bit challenging and in a dumb way. So. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in the morning, uh, Dan and Jeremiah get here very early. So you guys normally get here maybe like 9, 9.15, something like that. 
And do you know what Dan does even before he gets here that early? He goes and buys donuts for people. And so that box of donuts is provided faithfully to you every single week by Dan. Now, in the book of Acts, there is a similar situation where the apostles are preaching the word and praying for people. And then there are Hellenistic widows who need food. So the church is caring for the needs of these Hellenistic widows who can't provide for themselves. And the apostles are burdened, and they don't have time. They're too busy to pray and devote themselves to the teaching of the word because they're caring for the needs of these Hellenistic widows. And so what they do is they raise up Hellenistic church members who can care for those people, those Hellenistic widows, and they're filled with the Spirit. And so literally it says, like, we don't want to expend all our energy Waiting on, waiting on tables. And basically it's saying like, if your pastors are always bringing you donuts, there's something going terribly wrong. <laughs> Where I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's bad right now, but in a year, if Dan is still doing that, his energies are going somewhere that they shouldn't go. And so what, what do we need? We need someone who can step up and say, I can be a reliable person who can wake up at 10.15 instead of 10.30 Go get donuts, bring them here every single week. Or we can raise up a team of people who can do that. And here, here I, I will make a little bargain with you, okay? Um, because my job as, you know, like as a pastor is to teach the word and pray for people. Devote ourselves to prayer and word. I promise, if you bring donuts, I will pray extra for you, okay? So are you willing to make that trade? Are you willing to make that trade? Do you really value... But honestly, you know what my example is saying, right? Like, we're setting up chairs. We're setting up music. We're leading music. We're preaching. We're leading youth group. We're leading young adult group. It's not sustainable. I'm not saying you have to do anything now. But think through how you're gifted. Listen to us when we try to help you identify your gifts. And then as more and more people get mobilized to serve within the church, we're not going to burn out. Our church will be stronger. God, and the, the other thing I would say is, like, I really believe God will provide. I really believe the Holy Spirit in you will prompt you to serve in different ways out of your desire to love and serve people, and that will help, okay? And then it's this picture of let's share the burden together rather than putting it on any leader. And the other thing I would say is when you're serving in ministry, you don't have to take all the pressure. The burden is not on you. Because God is with you doing it, and the body of Christ is with you doing it. And so as you express your need for help, we can help. As we express our need for help, you guys can step up and respond to those needs by serving each other. And as we do this, our Sunday school class will be way better. Venus will be less stressed out, our children's minister, which we really want to do. Um, everything will thrive, and our church will grow stronger as we put this into practice. So I would just challenge you, uh, think through a way that you can serve other people, and this is only if you have a true, honest desire to. If you have a heart for what our church is doing, if you want to make disciples who have had their lives changed by Jesus Christ, do what you can to serve and grow as a disciple, use your gifts, take action, and then that will so benefit both you spiritually but the people around you. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I thank you for all the faithful servants in our group. 
Um, I thank you for how you've uh, provided for us over so many years. Um, I pray, Lord, for any people in our group who might feel overburdened and, and burned out. I pray you would raise up many workers who could help. Um, I pray, Father, for people who might be scared or feel inadequate that you would be equipping them by your spirit. We know that you, your spirit is a spirit of power, not of fear, um, a, a spirit of love and self-control. And so I pray that we would take steps of faith in living out your call to build up the church. Um, and then I pray as we do that, that it would be so amazing and life-giving to everyone. And you would make things easier for us where we would not be as burdened and not burn out. Um, I thank you, Lord, for Jesus who says that he will give us rest, that he doesn't expect us to bear everything ourselves. He knows we're human. He knows we're weak. We have limitations. But he, I pray we'd be able to trust the body of Christ, knowing that he is directing us, that we can care for each other's needs and bear each other's burdens in a way that would be so life-giving and good and joyful. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.